Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassio Podcast, where we're artificially intelligent and naturally funny, and sometimes we even try to be. Now, obviously, I look and sound like your host, Jeff Maines, but I've been replaced with an AI robot. But if I were, I'd tell you that Jeff helps B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. We use a proven process to create premium valuation, capital-efficient growth, and freedom so you build a business you're proud of and create a life of impact that you love. So am I really here or have I been replaced by AI? I mean, yeah, I feel pretty real. So this, this is pretty cool. Uh, people always ask, is this background? No, it's actually backyard. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's real. Um, here in East Texas this week, not quite Tokyo, but still it's a, an amazing place to, to be hanging out. It's been a, a lot of time out here. Uh, you know, every week there is a new story about how AI is being used or misused. And it's funny looking back a few years ago, uh, there's an article in 2017, 59 things artificial intelligence can do today. And then uh, 2018, six things AI can do and five things it can't yet. And fast forward a few years to today and things that couldn't be done even six months ago are happening. You know, Joe Rogan has been impersonated with fake podcast interviews and product endorsements. Uh, Kanye went country, except he didn't. And last week, Drake and The Weeknd released a song that got 20 million downloads and streams, except they didn't either. I mean, insane things are happening with AI. And how or where does that end? I mean, on the upside, Drake got some huge press over it. And I didn't even know who The Weeknd was. I would have assumed it was like a band, but apparently it's a person who can't spell well. Uh, ask a Canadian friend of mine, is that like a special Canadian spelling a weekend and they say, oh, ha, ha, no. The speed of change is unreal. AI is iterating itself and models are created with unbelievable speed these days. And we've all heard about AI taking over mundane tasks like manufacturing and data entry and complete website creation with base text and a few clicks. You know, AI is now giving manicures. That's right. There's a robot out there that can paint your nails better than any human ever could. And let me tell you, it doesn't just stop at painting nails. It's also programmed to make awkward small talk, talk about you behind your back in binary, and judge your choice of nail color. But that's not all. AI is also making waves in the world of art. And you've seen things like mid-journey, uh, AI solutions who can create masterpieces with just a few strokes of a digital brush. And sure, they can re recreate the Mona Lisa in just a few seconds, but uh, do they suffer for their art? I mean, you know, true artists are supposed to be starving and tortured, right? You know, like Drake and The Weeknd. Yeah, well, never mind. Maybe not. And we can't forget the AI therapists that are helping people with their emotional baggage. It's like having a robot best friend who listens to your problems and offers advice without ever getting tired of hearing about your ex. Only downside is that when you're done pouring your heart out, they might just suggest you buy a new vacuum cleaner to fill the void. So what do we do with AI as leaders? Is it jump on the bandwagon? Do we drop our .com for a .ai? Uh, or run away and label it witchcraft or Skynet or Minority Report is inevitable. I mean, I, I joke about that a little bit. I've had a lot of conversations that have been completely across the spectrum, from a complete free-for-all to a total ban-it-all, and, and then everything in between. Well, AI is here, and companies that embrace it will outperform those who don't. And, you know, that's happening much more quickly than I even realized. There are great use cases for AI, and I'm still very optimistic about how it can help us build better businesses, iterate faster, and improve the quality of life. I'm having conversations with tech founders almost daily about brilliant applications of AI and how they're using it. Now, you heard last week from Alexander Lin, founder and CEO of ShipShape. Really great stuff. You've heard from other founders on previous episodes, and you'll hear more in the coming months. Great technology is disruptive and will continue to be. But even more important, entrepreneurs are disruptive. And AI is just accelerating that. So go ethically disrupt your industry. Our expert guest last week was Park Howell, the world's most industrious storyteller who helps business leaders excel through stories they tell. Want to supercharge marketing with story? This is a great episode for you.
Our founder last week, like I said, Alexander Lin, founder and CEO of ShipShape, a company that uses AI to put dollars back in homeowners' pockets and keep homes safe and efficient. It's a great example of entrepreneurial ideas times AI to improve the quality of life in multiple ways. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen because they are fantastic. My guest this week is Troy Barter, founder of salesorg.io. Years ago, Troy started selling cars and then door-to-door, and 10 years ago broke into technology sales and found his true passion. Sales everyone feels good about and solves real problems. Now he trains technology salespeople and helps great sales pros use their talent for good within the tech industry. One of the hottest topics that I'm asked about is B2B sales and lead generation. So welcome a guy who is making that happen across the SaaS industry, Troy Barter. Hey, Troy, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your backstory and how did you get into sales? You know, where does that come from? So I got into sales um, before I was into sales. I got into I got into rap, and uh, it sounds like it is a horrible segue and doesn't make sense, but it, it does. Bear with me. <laughs> so I'm from Brookfield, Massachusetts, which if you look it up, there's no traffic lights. It's an incredibly small town. Um, and moved back and forth from Brookfield in high school. Uh, I spent half the uh, Half my years in high school in Florida, um, and you know some other time, and got exposed to, to hip hop, and and got into it when going to Florida, which was a uh, much more diverse place than uh, than where I'm from, which is the middle of nowhere, in Massachusetts, uh, out in the woods. And um, the reason why I say that is there's no really place for you to go rap in Brookfield, Massachusetts. So what we did is we'd go on the internet, um, and you battle online. There's a website called RapMusic.com where they give you an opponent. Um, you'd have a week's time to prepare like a diss track. And then it was like a tournament, um, which I ended up, wow. and it was kind of a, as, as odd as it sounds, it was kind of a big deal and a precursor to what battle rap is today. Um, and as I kind of built up over there, I started to kind of dip my toe into making beats and I, before SoundCloud got him old, man, it was sound click, which is where <laughs> we, we put everything up. And I noticed like, man, like you go to the charts and like the you could go to the top 1000 charts, I think back then. And it's all rappers. It's all aspiring rappers. They all need beats. We've got beats. And I had a, it's, it's kind of funny now that I'm saying this, it, it, it is like kind of exactly what I'm doing now. So I had a little bit of notoriety from what I was doing out there in the field. And I leveraged that plus prospecting because I could get all of those rappers' emails and everything, their AOL sure. messenger handle back when that was the thing. And I would do cold email um, in 20, 2003 and like uh, cold, I guess, is it social? I'm DMing on instant messenger, long story short, you know? And um, I realized like, man, I'm like, I didn't know what a funnel was yet. But I, that's exactly what I was doing. I was building, I was curating a list, a targeted list that I knew that I would get a response from uh, 20 years ago and going after them. And I, was, and I would do little promotions and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I'm like, this is working. Um, I should probably try this for a living. And I only knew of car sales really as, as a, a place to sell car sales and door to door. And I was like, I'll start yeah. car sales. And I, I got in, um, did well. I was trying to think, why did I leave car sales? On another podcast months ago, I remembered my license was horrible. I had like, I, I was so broke, even though I was doing decent in car sales that like, I think like I just had so many points on my license in my early 20s that like they wouldn't let me move the vehicles on the lot. <laughs> I'd have to have oh, wow. someone else do it. And I landed at a spot where they were like, dude, we can't even have you here at all. And I was like, all right, it's what it is. And I got in a door to door. Um, did that for a while, uh, worked for a company called Sidcor. Everybody like that's done door to door a bit probably has heard of them. They do outsourced, uh, sales. So like I'd be representing Verizon, but I'm not from Verizon. I'm from Sidcor. Okay. My badge says Verizon cause I'm an authorized dealer or whatever you want to call it. And we would each be given like a zip code. You'd go business to business, uh, reviewing bills, selling Fios and everything like that. If you were lucky enough to have Fios in your territory, which I never got. They always, once they realized that I was pretty good at cold calling um, and going door to door, they'd give me the worst territory, which is usually like a territory where there's no FIOS. Uh, there was a lot of fraud in it beforehand. They had to fire somebody. Then I come in and I have to wow. fix it. 
and figure it out. Um, and I kept doing that for a while. I moved up. I, I went from Sidcor to their um, sister company, 2020 Companies. Both were owned by Golden Gate Capital. And then uh, moved over to a company called Evolutionary Enterprises, which um, we knew the uh, we knew the owner and everything like that. And I managed probably 60 to 70 salespeople in orgs in Chicago, Tampa. Might have been a little bit of Vegas also. But it was a big org. And um, I went and I think I knocked a place and I saw on the plaque there was uh, a name on there. It's like a real not a name that everyone would have. Last name was Hulk, H-A-U-L-K, Travis Hulk, who I knew from door to door at Sidcor. And I also uh, went to sixth grade with him at Waitman Middle School in, wow. in Florida. Small um, world. So I already, I've known him forever. And so I texted him and I messaged him. I was like, this got to be you, right? And he was like, dude, get out of whatever you're doing and go to where I'm at. And it was right down the road on, uh, I think, the Howard Franklin, if I'm not mistaken, or Memorial or whatever, um, to go to Clearwater. And he was in downtown Clearwater and it was Fleet Maddox. There's the Fleet Maddox office, which he was like, like he had just become director like two days beforehand. So obviously he knew that I, I knew what I was doing in sales and he wouldn't let me leave without applying and interviewing with the regional vice president. Um, and that was my foray into tech sales. I lucked out because those seven years from 06, when I started selling cars all the way until 2013, Man, I felt like everywhere I went, I was the top performer, but I wasn't getting paid like one. Like at Sidcor, and I mean, everyone knows Sidcor is multi-level marketing. Like it's notoriously known as if you're at the top, you make money. And if you're not, you are not making money. Um, Turn and burn. Yeah. If anyone's got a problem with that, you can get, get on a podcast with me. You're not going to like, you know, they, they wouldn't <laughs> happen. Put it that way. But um, yeah, and I was, I think I was ranked third in the country. I was in the Leader Magazine, uh, which is like their little publication they put out like once a month. Um, and I, I, meanwhile, I was, I think I made 20 grand that year. Um, so wow. I had, like I had my, my, my car repoed, I think I got evicted and I had to live in like income restricted housing and everything like that. Um, cold showers were, were definitely a thing. And I was kicking butt in, in, uh, in sales. It was like, damn, like, how, like there's gotta be a, a better way. And I just didn't yeah. know of it. I didn't know tech sales existed. I didn't know it paid that well. I knew you could make a lot of money in sales, but I didn't know where. And that kind of led me into, into tech sales. And I never looked back. I started as an SDR, um, which I, I guess technically took a step back. But, you know, you're, you're director of sales for uh, uh, an outsourced sales company that's going door to door. You're getting paid an override off of every deal. But it's you got to build teams of hundreds upon hundreds of people before you're making you know substantial money. Um, so sure. uh, it, it was kind of a step down in title, but not really in pay in reality. Yeah. Um, and I they had a script that they didn't even know how good it was. Um, uh, they leveraged social proof, which we learned Jones effect at Sidcor, And then they go into a, a quick presentation uh, or a positioning statement as I, I learned how they phrased it in tech sales. And then you were going for an option close, which I had done in the car business beforehand. Um, and I had done it in door to door sales. Um, so I knew all of the foundational elements to their script better than SDRs that had been there for a year as a sales development representative, because that's how I learned. I learned the elements of things and I learned the building blocks and then I learned how to incorporate them. So I started July 3rd, 2013, and I was the number three SDR in in units sold off of their bookings by the end of July. So I started wow. July 3rd. There was no onboarding. Here's the script. I was lucky because I had the experience and the way that I trained, I was trained and I kind of trained myself, it was always everything has to be repeatable. So I learned building blocks and I learned the steps to a sale, what exit gates are and entry gates are and everything like that. And it was just right place, right time, right script, right, you know, everything. And I, I moved from SDR to AE within a month and a half because Travis was the director. He knew how good I was. And I just went in and proceeded to ragdoll everybody there without any inbounds. And moved to AE um, in the middle of August of 2013. By January or February of 2014, I walked into sales conference, uh, tracking as the, the number one rep in the globe um, as an account executive. I moved to director of sales June of that year. So 11 months from SDR to director. It's the fastest promotion track in Fleetmatic's history. And then Fleetmatic's got acquired a couple of years later by Verizon for $2.4 billion in stock. Went well. Moved over after I waited two years, uh, two years of, of suffering working for Verizon. No one wants to do that. 
I thought I was done with Verizon <laughs> when I was at Sidcor. Um, didn't like working for him then. It didn't like working for him after when they bought the company. But you're still vesting. So rest invest. Shout out Silicon Valley. Um, you know, I did good enough um, and it kind of worked on my own things. And then I moved to Panadoc. In Panadoc, I didn't have to start as an SDR because I was already made in tech sales as a director. I went straight in as a director. Got stock there as well. Um, a lot of people advised me to not go in there because it was real small at the time. It's a pretty, pretty small company. Um, then the pandemic hits. Everyone needs digital yeah. signature. Everyone needs digital proposals. Company turns into a billion dollar unicorn and I had stock again. Um, and then from there, it was like, all right, if I'm ever going to do something on my own, now's the time. I have the runway. I uh, like, let's, let's start doing this. And I, That's great. the approach was basically the exact way that I had success. I knew the foundational elements before I got in at Fleetmatics. And because I knew them, it didn't matter what their script was. I could take all the building blocks that I already knew and I could Lego it together. And I already had a, a masterpiece within a couple of days because I knew the elements. And that's how we train. So salesorg.io, we train people on how to break into tech sales. We have a full SDR course. We train heavily on, um, I don't give anybody the whole house. We give them the foundation because no matter where they go, the house is going to be different. They're going to have to build it differently. I give them options on pretty much everything. Um, you know, so cold call openers, right? Everyone hates permission-based openers. You know, hey, this is a cold call, or I hate them. A lot of people like them. So I train on it. I, like, all right, it works for some people. If you like this, do it. Because it doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you say it and how confident you are in what you're saying, especially in your opener. Interesting. You know? So it, they're, they're like, you can find a study for every cold call opener that says this is actually the best one or this is actually the worst one. And the reality is, it's a matter of who you're, who, who's in the study. Are they good or are they bad? If they're good and they execute effectively and they sound warm, engaging, like they belong on the phone and they don't sound like they're trying to sound like a pro, they sound like themselves, then there's a high chance they're going to have success. So we do, we let them pick three different openers. We do the permission-based, we do leveraging an email, him calling a reference to an email that I sent, and we do, how are you doing? And dude, people can F off if they think how you doing doesn't work. I will cold call right now with how you doing and I'll do just as well as anybody that wants to argue it. It still works. It's all in your tone. You just are supposed to sound like you belong on the phone. And then we cover some other things. But the long story short is we let people kind of pick and choose. And we let them know like, hey, here's my preference. But by the way, the best way to do this is whatever way works best where you're at. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Do not get married to a process. Get, um, get married to the building blocks of everything so you can interchange them throughout your sales career. And I think because we do that so heavily where we're, we're showing them like the recipes to bake the cake instead of just giving them a cake to eat, there's a lot higher chance that when they get somewhere, they if they need to move an ingredient around, it's not going to infect the end product, you know? And I, I think that's, um, it's worked really well so far, man, um, which is one thing that we do. And outside of that, um, that's our first course, which is training people that have little to no sales experience on how to get in. Um, it's not the only path. If you're someone that has done door to door before you have incredible cold calling experience, you don't have to take the course more than likely you get on the phone with myself or my wife, who's our recruiter full time. She's been a recruiter for 10 years. She handles the recruiting side of the business. Um, we go through a recorded role play. All right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're ready to go. We could put you in somewhere and you could have success right away. And you may even have more success because everyone thinks being an SDR is the hardest job in the world. It's the hardest job in tech sales. Going door to door is a thousand times harder than picking up the phone and dialing. It's not even it, remotely yeah. close. When you have a pawn shop owner who pulls a gun on you and then you have to, in a suit in August in Florida, walk to the next place. No, <laughs> no. When someone tells you to F off on the phone, you hang up, you pick back up in air conditioning. We are not the same. We are built <laughs> differently. So try like those people, I don't necessarily tell them that they have to get into the course. If you don't need it and you can, we can effectively present you and showcase you to our hiring partners, you're good to go. So we, I think where we differ from a lot of the other companies that are like, we have a course, we train people to break into sales in tech sales. And then we place them is like, if you are already in tech sales, I still want to place you. If you are not already in tech sales, but you're good enough where you can handle the entry-level role off the bat, you don't need the training, I still want to place you. I'm not shilling a course. I'm providing a course for the people that need it, and I'm providing opportunities for the people that don't. And from there, we'll have the course done this month. Um, I'm, I'm barreling towards it as, as we go and get try to make this thing scalable. scalable. And after that, um, what I'm really excited about is we're doing an AE course, um, which oh, no one great. has. 
No one has that. I, if, if someone has it, it's news to me. I don't know if anyone that does it. And I think it helps with two things. Number one, uh, in tech sales right now, everyone is scaling back. Everyone is on a hiring freeze, um, but people still need AEs. And the reality of is course. there's two different paths you can take when it comes to hiring an account executive. As it stands today, you can hire from within. You can, you can promote an SDR to AE or you right. can hire them externally. Um, when you hire an external AE across the board in SaaS, they say you have to have sales experience in tech sales. We're not interested if you were like a high level pharmaceutical salesperson. We're not interested. Nine times out of 10. We need you to have that existing tech sales experience. That's what they're looking for. So the issue with that is if you hire somebody that is an external AE candidate that has tech sales experience, number one, they're going to be more expensive. They're going to be most expensive. That's going to be your most expensive hire for individual contributors for sure because they already were making decent money and they're not looking to take a step back or lateral. They're looking for a step up. So you're going to have to pay them more than the last place for them to come over. Also, you don't know how well they're going to learn your product. You don't know how well they're going to cold call and what their work ethic is like. You don't know how well they're a culture fit. And you know all of those things with the SDRs that you could promote. You know every one of them. So sure. it's a big dice roll. And a lot of the AEs that I hired externally um, at places uh, that had tech sales experience, the best sale that they made was in the interview. And then they get in there and they don't want to cold call. They want to do it their Happens way. a lot. They buck every single thing that I give them, even though I've got a pretty solid track record behind me. And it's like, man, so most people lean on promoting the SDRs. But who's going to train them on how to do that? Is it going, there, is it going to be a mishmash of working with uh, you know, the AEs that are already there that might be nice and be willing to do that? They might not be. Um, or are you going to have to have your director or team lead that is already worried about hitting a number, train them on how to be an account executive as well? Wouldn't a course help? Yes, it would. Yeah. Right? It absolutely would. Not to mention those pharmaceutical sales reps, those really high-end car salespeople, people that are in door-to-door that might be a director or even at the VP level that are crushing it, but they know like, man, I don't want to do this forever. There's no place right. for them in tech sales right now. They are not going to step down to be an SDR when they were making six figures elsewhere. So now tech sales is, is lacking Anyone that's really carved out a great sales career outside of tech sales, it, we're not getting them in tech sales. So we're losing out on every hot free agent that hasn't sold SaaS before. If a course existed that could show them, here's how to do a discovery our way. Here's how to do a presentation our way in tech sales. Here's how to negotiate pricing, close at the peak of impulse. Here's how to follow up. All of those things that are important to sell over the web, and you can do it on a platform. Salesorg.io is a platform, so we can drink our own champagne as we're thinking of creating our own standard operating procedures. The AEs can go in and do that. We can just train them to be an AE for us. They're not. We're not hiring. I'm, I'm the AE for us, right? As it stands right, right, right now. But at the end, we will have a video of them doing a discovery, doing the presentation. Closing on pricing, negotiating. We can show how they do an email follow-up. We do the same thing for SDRs, by the way. When we send over um, to either a founder, a hiring partner, whoever's looking at resumes, um, when we send them over somebody, we don't just send them the resume. We send them a recording of a cold call role play that they've done where they need to do an opener, positioning statement, go for the close, overcome objections. And now that we're through our discovery module, they will then be qualifying and then they will be showing the notes that they would have done on that call when they handed off to an AE. It's the safest bet in the history of hiring because what are you doing now? Do they have a uh, do they have a degree or not? Okay, that's great. But I can show you right here. I got this degree. When was this? 2018. <laughs> I got this degree. Me and Hulk Hogan have the same degree from Hillsborough Community College, and nice. that was five years into tech sales because Verizon paid for it, and it had literally no bearing. So any company that wouldn't have taken me, man, you messed out on an A-plus player, right? So that is not an adequate filtration device for you to get through the hundreds sure. of resumes that are coming in. Cold call role play isn't perfect by any stretch. It's not a guarantee that they're going to be your, your A player, but man, it's better than a, a degree as a qualification. Right. It's painting a way better picture. Um now, are you getting an idea why I want to do uh, my own uh, podcast? Because, man, I can, I can <laughs> yes. be long-winded for a long time. And I am, I am realizing that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think that, that hiring sales is one of the most difficult hires because you're right. 
uh, they get in the interview and that is the sales process. And then they start the job and it's like, where did it all go? And nothing happens. So I think it's a really difficult, uh, difficult hire to make. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I like that, the approach. A lot of times people are looking for like experienced SDRs and, and I don't think they're out there. Uh, if they're if they're a really good SDR, they've they've moved up. So here's the thing: so, uh, yeah. uh, you you were right um, last year. Um, now there's a million of them out there because they keep getting laid off. Um, ah. uh, it's unlimited the amount of SDRs that there are versus roles that are available. So we help with them too. So like I'll make a post on it's LinkedIn. A good idea. We, and we are like we're blessed that we don't have to spend money on marketing yet because I I did spend time building a following on TikTok and on on LinkedIn and everything like that where when we make a post we're going to get 50 to 100 applicants off of our own posts without having to pay um anything for it until you know these companies get wise to it I guess and say stop doing that you have to buy ads um but it um it definitely helps but a lot of the people that we get that come in they're SDRs that were laid off and then it's like, all right, cool. Let's do a role play. And they knock the cover completely off the ball. They're beyond ready. And it's like, dude, I've done it. let's go. That's and fantastic. What I do is I give them the recording when they apply. And I tell them this is, hey, I'd love to hire you, get you hired because we get paid. We get paid if we get you hired. Here's your recording right. though. I'm performance-based. I'm coin-operated. And I also really care about salespeople because I've been in the, the, the trenches, like worse than most. And so we give them the recording. You say, hey, if you want to leverage this elsewhere, if we can't get you hired first and you find something great and you, and, and you, you leverage the recording that we did, that's on us. We should have moved faster. I want you to get hired at the end of the day. I want tech sales to have the best salespeople that put in the work. I'm a big fan of meritocracy. I'm, I'm a, it's the only thing I'm a fan of when it comes to whether, how people get hired. And yeah. I, I, I want to provide people with the tools to get noticed and to showcase who they are as a great salesperson so they can get hired. And those SDRs, you know, will be, be the ones that turn into account executives down the road. And who do you think they're going to want to go to for the training? Not to mention like founders right now, when they're scaling back, they're on a hiring freeze. They've got some SDRs. They've got some AEs. They're going to need an AE. You can put your SDR through our course, which is the only one that exists. And we can get you trained on it. Or you could hire an external AE and have to pay out the nose in terms of the, the cost more than likely. Um you're way better. It's a way safer bet adequately training an SDR that's already a performer, um, you know, in yeah. terms of being able to save the most amount of money and get the most bang for your buck. Because the big thing is, you know, that they can call, you know, that they're willing to prospect. And when they get promoted, they are beyond pumped about it because they've never been there before. So they're so excited to hit the ground running. And I think, um, man, it's not even a think. I know it's going to work. I know it's going to be a game changer. Um, it's just a matter of getting it done. And it's, uh, that's the fun part of starting a company, man, is, uh, you realize (laughs) that you probably should have 10 employees already. I have zero plans on us getting funding. We're profitable already. It's just a matter of us being more profitable. Our runway is, is a self-imposed issue, right? It's, it's, it's the fact that I've been in sales for so long and did well. And our monthly expenses are our runway in, in reality with the way that we do things. So it's, uh, but it has been interesting, man. Like you realize like, man, there's a lot to do. Like yes. it's, uh, that's why I brought my wife into it. I took her out of retirement, pulled her Jersey out of the rafters. Cause when she had her fourth <laughs> kid, I was like, when she got pregnant with her fourth child, I was like, all right, if you want to work, you can work, but if you don't want to, but now it's all hands on deck. I need, I need her expert recruiting skills. That's great. That's great. Well, where do you think, SaaS founders make mistakes in hiring sales. A lot of times they want to go from founder-led sales or maybe sales is not their strong suit and they think I need to go hire. What are the mistakes they make with a first hire and or building a team? Well, I think it's what you need to identify quickly is every step to your sale is off the bat. Um, I'm writing a book on this, uh, actually. So this is, that's right. While I'm doing the AE course, I'll, I'll, I'll be finishing this up. But you need to know every step to your sale and at least have a rudimentary idea of them. That's going to change over time, especially if you bring in a real talented salesperson, they're going to catch some stuff you may not catch as a founder. The reason being is that you need to know what, when you're hiring your first salesperson, what are you looking to address in your process? Where are you weakest and where do you need the most support? Are you closing deals as a founder? No problem. Once they get in front of you, you know, the technology, there's a need. It's not a nice to have. You can close the deal. And then it's like, all right, we want, we need our first hire because we need pipeline. So I'm looking to hire a VP of sales. 
man, that's a mistake. You're already closing yeah. business. You just need pipeline. You probably need an SDR. And that SDR, you're probably, when you feel like it's not scalable for you to continue to do those presentations, that's the SDR that you probably want to turn into an account executive in reality. Or you want to hire a solid account executive that's looking to move into a managerial role that is that is already cold calling aggressively and loves doing it, that you could bring in and you could say, all right, this person will do the cold calling. We'll start them there. They'll do a little bit of the presentations. They'll shadow me. And then we can get him in doing that as well. And then down the road when we scale, this is someone that we're looking to because they have leadership qualities to move into a leadership role. But I think the big thing is you'll hire someone based on what you think you're supposed to do versus what you know the business needs based on where you're lacking in your sales process. So you need to know every step um, or at least get an idea of what the steps are based on what you're already doing. What are the entry gates and the exit gates to every one of those steps? And what are the conversion rates from one step to the next? What are your goals on each one of them? And then you just look at all of them and say, which one of these do we suck at the most? And whichever one that is, whatever sales hire will have the largest impact on that is probably the smartest move is the reality because that's going to have an immediate effect on the business that's positive. And then you can roll from there, you know, but it is, it is different for everyone, but I'd say that's a big mistake for sure where you're like, Oh, I need, we need pipeline. Let's hire a VP, the VP ain't going to do much for you for pipeline. You're, 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 it's going to do less for you than an SDR that's like ready to roll, you know, for sure. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Troy about one of the most asked questions in sales is how do I pay my people? How do I structure a comp plan right after this? Welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today, Troy Barter, founder and CEO of salesorg.io. And Troy, one of the most asked questions we get is how do I structure sales comp. You know, what is a compensation package? Is it commission? Is it base? Is it, how is it split out? What is it that works in today's market? So I I do notice as I'm uh, interviewing more and more people that people are more attached to their base probably than ever. Um, They're more like, they're more rigid on their base. Um, uh, Personally, I never cared about the base. But I think that's because I came from 100% commission sales. So it was like, whatever you're giving me as a base is probably more than I was making. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> um, so I would say you need to be, you need to be competitive on base within probably a five to 10 grand mark um, of, of what's out there. But that's not the only thing that you're, you're looking for at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, but we'll, we'll just talk comp plan, but that's, it, it's not just what gets people to start. It's what get people to actually perform once they're there. So yeah, you want to have a base because you want to be able to attract the the top people for sure. Um, but I think the big thing when it comes to comp plans, uh, there's two in, in my opinion that are important. Number one, they need to be easy to comprehend. They need to be easy to comprehend and calculate. I've worked for a couple of companies um, uh, in a couple of different realms. Uh, one was door to door, um, where it, they, they would pay you a, this is a base plus salary. Um, it was a payroll, uh, company, but I was going door to door as well. And, um, the other one was in tech sales where I could not figure out the company. Like it was wow. too complex and no one was providing me with any guidance. And I think that I can be an A player. I have been an A player, but I can also be your F player if I'm not motivated. A hundred percent, um, or at least a D player. So when I got into a couple of those places when I was much younger and it's like, all right, I don't understand how I get paid. Well, I understand my base. So I'm a lot more interested in my base and keeping that than on earning the things that I don't understand, which affects my production a hundred percent. Sure. And I think that I'm pretty experienced. I think that I'm pretty competitive. I think that I'm, I'm the type of hire that people are generally looking for. So if that could demotivate me and that could stop me, then it's probably going to stop a lot of other people as well. So it needs to be something that people can comprehend. The more complex your pay plan is, probably the less excited your salespeople are going to be about it. And, you know, from there, um, you, you need it to be something that they can understand and that's easy to calculate, but also uh, no um, decelerators for going over goal. That is like, I'm, I'm immediately applying elsewhere the second that I see that because it spits in the face of, of like hard rules that are reality on every sales floor, which one is the 80, 20 rule. 
20% of your people are going to give you 80% of your results. I remember I said that to somebody who was an RVP uh, over me and they're like, yeah, we got to change that. It's like, cool, let's change gravity while we're at it, because that's a rule that <laughs> I've never been on a sales floor where that's generally how it works. They produce most of the results. So if you take those people that are garnering almost all of your results, right, and then you penalize them for overproducing those results, you are screwed. There's no way that you're going to be able to uh, maximize the performance of your people. So you should continue to pay them. If you scale it back, they will sandbag every time. You, can, you will not get a salesperson bought in enough to forego any part of their pay plan. I don't care how much they like you. I don't care how much they're drinking the Kool-Aid on, their, on the culture and everything like that. All that they care about is the size of the bag that they're going to get. It always, especially the top performers that are going to get penalized by a decelerator. And if, if, if we're talking to founders that are fairly new that are just carving this out, what I mean by a decelerator is – all right, if you go 100 to 120% to target, we actually pay you a little bit more than you would have made within the first you know, 15 to 100%. But once you go over 120%, as soon as you hit 121, we're actually going to pay you less than you would have from 15% to 100%. That's crazy. Yeah. And this is like, dude, Verizon was doing this. It's not like this is like folks that don't know what they're doing. This is like a common practice for a lot of I've really I've seen it all over, companies. yeah. And it's like, all right, like, so I remember going to folks and saying, hey, I'm an AE, right? Because at this point, I was really rest invest. I wasn't a director anymore. I was like, all right, if I'm just here for the stock, just let me close the deals then. Like, what are we talking about? You already took our teams and made them like five people at a time. And I went to them and I was like, hey, you guys have a decelerator in place for SDRs. So my boy that I'm working with, um, who is the top SDR, and I've curated my relationship with him in and outside of work for the past six years, now... When they are overproducing over that 120%, they are checking out. They're booking meetings that you guys don't know about because they're for next month. They're sandbagging. By the way, they should be sandbagging. I want that mercenary as an SDR. You guys yeah. didn't create the right, the right maze and put the cheese in the right spot. I'm not faulting the mouse for that. But what happens is I had, I think, two or three SDRs that I could work with. The other two were not doing well. So I'm dependent on this one rep. And now I can't, I can't make it happen. I have to cold call and, and, and pray to God that these other two make it happen because now the person that's going to take me to goal on the SDR side isn't interested in taking me to goal. And by the way, he shouldn't be. Uh, like by no stretch should they be. Right. And they're like, yeah, you just got to get them more bought in. It's like, no, you guys are fools. And you came up with a horrible comp plan, Brennan. That's why, you know, like at the end of the day. Um, said the name on purpose. Um, all right. it, 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 so that's, um, it, it really can demotivate people. It can get yeah. it, the, the biggest, the easiest way to get your top people to quit a company is by messing with their comp. That's the easiest way. And you'll be like, Absolutely. Oh no, they're technically going to make more if you look at this and this, but all right, is it harder for them to understand? Like, okay, then they're going to be less interested in playing the game because sales is a game at the end of the day, you know, and you're, if you're adding things that are make it harder, then people become less interested you know, and also like, is it, are you, are you penalizing them for their success? People did not get into sales and be penalized. There's two types of salespeople, the ones that reach to the absolute top that they can make and the ones that are standing on the bar of not get fired. And when you penalize people for going over goal, you will eventually be left with the people that are standing on that bar on the not get fired right. bar. And when you try to raise that bar, good luck. Because you have people that want to underachieve. They're not bought in. You lost all the people that were bought in. It's a catastrophic mistake, for sure. I see that happen a lot where they are penalized for going over goal. And, and it's, it never made sense to me. But the logic is always, well, if they make too much, then they're going to get lazy. Like, well, you're creating that environment by not letting them run. Yeah. A players don't get lazy by making too much money. A players right. find expensive habits <laughs> and, uh, you know, that uh, like, you know, whatever, you know, buy a stupid Rolex or whatever, you know, like you, you and you will continue to be motivated to spend more and to make more. And that's kind of how it works, you know, and I always right. tell like my new salespeople, like, man, you need to invest. Like you need like you guys, FHA loan, you should be getting a triplex. I've said that to a few people that have made over a million dollars off of, off of that advice, you know, but the reality is you're not 
who are the people that are affected by decelerators? They're your A players. Who are the people yep. that are the least likely to get lazy? Your A players. You're worried about your A players being lazy. I'm worried about your D players being lazy because they already are and they're continuing to be. So what are we talking about? Yeah, you got to pay a little bit more to get somebody that's elite. But if they're doing double what a human being can do and you're only paying for whatever, you know, you could name all of the things. You're only paying for one salary. You're only paying for the health insurance for one person. Then the cost to bring in an A player if you're to lose them is astronomical. Like, what are you thinking? Like you should do everything that you can do to hold on to your A players. And I think the big thing is with founders, like, dude, just operate sales very similar to the way that you would manage a sports team. And you'll probably be in pretty good shape. It's not all about the A players, right? You need the supporting cast and you need people that you can level up to eventually become an A player. And you need to constantly be drafting. But when you've got an Aaron Judge, you want to keep Aaron Judge, And that means that you're probably going to have to pay for them and they're worth it. And that's coming from a Red Sox fan, but man, they're, they're worth it. You know, (laughs) hope we get them. Yeah. 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 So where do you invest in your sales team? Is it on the low end? Is it the middle? Is it the top? Um, How do you make Um, reps better? And, and does that work, you know, to, to really focus and make reps better or do you just replace? So there's an awesome book on that. Man, I had it earlier. There it is. It's a sales leaders playbook by Nathan Jamail. Um, learned it at uh, when I was at 2020, and I still apply a lot of the stuff that's in there because it's like managing. It's literally like a segue into what I was just saying. Like you're managing a sales team very similar to a sports team. And the thing that he recommends that I really like, and I'm sure he's not the only person that's recommended this, but I do really like the book, is that you spend most of your time with A players and new recruits. So why do you spend your time with your A players? Because most people don't. And if your A player is performing at 150%, if I can get an extra 5% out of the guy doing 150% or gal, then that is a larger jump than if I can get somebody to do 10% when they were performing at 30%. You know, if I can get that jump. So you're, you usually get a higher return on your investment with them. Not to mention, I need them to be bought in. I need them to not quit. I need them to be drinking the Kool-Aid. I need to know what makes them tick, what makes them excited. I need to hold on to my A players. I, that's one thing that I really pride myself in. My A players rock with me to this day. You know, I didn't buy that Brady jersey. My A players did, you know, uh, like literally not just like off of my compensation. They bought it for me because I build a relationship in and outside of work with them. And it's incredibly important. So then the new recruit side of things. Well, what about all the B players, the C players and everything like that? If you spend most of your time with your A players, you're going to hold on to them and make them better. Also, your A players become more invested in spending time with your new recruits because you're painting the bigger picture for them and everything like that. They're bought in. They want to help. And then when you spend that time with your new recruits as well, also your A players will help you with the maybe struggling B minus to C players as well. If you build them up the right way, a lot of them will, not all of them. And then on the new recruit side, if you make a big investment on those new recruits, you do all of the right things, the things that you know are going to work. You go even a little bit overboard on making sure that they have everything that they need they don't, you know, they don't lose any support as they're ramping and as they're growing, then most of them will turn into A players, which you will continue to spend your time with. And if they don't turn into an A player or close to it, if you spent enough time with them and you have the right process, that's probably more on them than it is on you. You, you made the investment and some of them turned into A players, some of them didn't, but you made the, you did all the right things. You put the work in all right, well, then you're, you're, you're going to continue to work with them even when they continue to be a D player. You put everything you had into them. I mean, probably not. That's not where you're going to get the large return. So at some point, it has to be like, all right, you got to kind of figure it out on your own a little bit. You know, I've got to let go of you in the pool and see if you can swim. And, you know, you continue to spend time on that, on that A player side of things because those are going to be the people that, you know, eventually turn into managers or at the very least turn into your quarterbacks that are on the field playing but are also helping level up everybody around you. Um, that's, that's what I'd say in terms of spending your time. That's, that's genuinely the way that I've always focused on it. And I think it's, it it gives you the largest return for sure. And I think it's the fairest way of doing it. So if we have 20% of the reps that are producing 80% of the revenue, how do we change that to where we have all a players? How do we get, instead of 20% producing 80, we have, you know, 80% that are producing, you know, which can, like it can happen, yeah. right? Like, I mean, at Fleet Maddox, like almost all of the closers were like wildly over target while, like while we were there, they were crushing it, you know? Um, and so how do you do that? Um, I would say first off, you got to retain 
the A players that you've got is the first thing. You, if, if you're losing A players, you're failing. Yeah, like you should like Fleet Max never lost an A player. They paid them crazy. Like they were making more money than they could make anywhere else. So they stayed and they loved it. They loved the environment. Sales conference was huge every year. We'd go to a destination and that's, that's how these, that's how like top salespeople operate. You know, I always said like, I want to be recognized for what I'm doing and I want to be paid accordingly. So like, those are the two that are important to me. I want everyone to know what I'm doing. And if you don't tell them, I'm going to tell them. I'll send out an email blast. Hey guys, just so you know, I booked three today, even though I'm an AE, I'll send it to the whole company. Like I'll send it to everybody that's in our org, you know, like I'm making sure that everyone knows what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm self-promoting and I need to get paid for it. So you need to hold on to your A players by creating that culture that A players like, but also a culture that is fair to everybody. Right. But at the same time, it needs to be something that will excite top performers and make them want to stay around for a while. I really love the sales conference thing, man. And I'm sure that those are going to really like kind of become extinct, right? People are on a hiring freeze. They're probably not going to spend exorbitant amount of money on sales conferences the way that they used to in the past. But man, it worked because the way it worked at Fleet Maddox, because I was there for so long, is that the first year, you probably don't qualify. I, I lucked out and I did qualify my first year. But in the first year, most people probably don't qualify. They probably didn't have the sales experience that I did. So you're hearing the stories of everyone that went. And it's you got a chip on your shoulder. Like, man, I wish I would have went. I'm going next year. I'm going to set some goals in place. I'm going to make it happen. And then you make it. That's great. You make it, but then you get get none of these. You get no hardware. You're not getting on stage or anything like that. You made it, but you're watching everybody else get an award. Everybody else get their flowers. Everybody else get in love and everything like that. And it's like, man, making it ain't a damn thing. I need to get on stage. I need to get, and then you get on stage and you get that, but that's not the big award, right? The big award that, you know, Mike Fusio was pulling down every year. He won four Rolexes, I think, when he was at Fleet Maddox. Um, and uh, they, they, you you were the the global, like, sales, top salesperson, you know. And it's so you got like four or five years of inspiration and motivation uh, based on that, you know. Not to mention that once you get there, it's repeating and it's continuing to do that. Man, I'm a fan of that. I'm a huge fan of that. It's like it's a big part of the reason why I loved working there. It's a big part of the reason why I'll love working there more than I'll ever love working anywhere else. I, 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 I don't believe I'll ever find a place that is a, as dope as, as that as that was for A players. So that's the first thing is you want to hold on to your A players. And that is it's a way painting a picture of the future. So yeah. there's always there's always another level. So they're never you know, yeah. fat yeah, and yeah, happy yeah. sitting find where they are. Your A players are wired and create that environment because what's that going to do? It's going to hold on to your A players. But also the next thing that we're going to talk about is attracting other A players. That was very easy for me to do at Fleet Maddox because I can tell them about the things like that. Can tell them about sales conference. Can tell them about how we reward our top players, and they'd be excited to come in, and they'd be excited to turn into one of those A players. You know, so you have to create that environment that is conducive not just for A players to come in that were already A players, but to be able to develop people that might have a. Um, they, they, they don't have the highest, they have a really high ceiling, but right now they're closer to their floor than their ceiling and you're going to have to put the work in it. So you need to have people that have done it before that are able to develop. Um, and if you don't have them, um, fractional, you know, you can hire somebody fractionally. You can hire me. If you have a, uh, if you've got a sales leader that either has experience and would like to bounce things off of somebody else and they don't have that SVP or that CRO, that's been there. How many CROs have held a bag nowadays? Not many, you know, they're more likely to be like Mark Zuckerberg a lot more than they're going to be like Grant Cardone, you know, like that's, that's generally, that's a generalization, but it's a fairly safe one with the CROs that I know. Right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You need them to be a little bit more analytical and everything like that. But then you've got a director of sales or a head of sales might be new. Maybe you brought them in and you took a chance on a senior AE or something like that. And they're doing it for the first time. They need a mentor. They need someone to coach. Um, and I'm pretty pretty cheap for now. Um, so we have, it's, it's on <laughs> salesorg.io. We do it. It's, it's 800 a month. Um, I have sales leaders that pay it out of their own pocket, but the reality is the company should be paying for it because the return that it nets is ridiculous because I do an hour call um, one-on-one every week uh, with them. They have access to my cell phone, text me if they need anything, if they need help with the project. I'm here to help them bounce things off and everything like that. The return is instantaneous. I've just done this for too long. I, I can easily get under the hood and, and spot some things and and, uh, and make magic with it. Um, so I think that's important too. 
Uh, that's great. Well, where can people find out more about you and about salesorg.io online? So um, from a content perspective, probably best way to, best place to find me. Um, there's two. Uh, one is just on LinkedIn. I accept all LinkedIn connections. You want to connect with me. If you have questions about stuff, hit me up. I'll give you an answer. It'll probably be an audio answer. I like doing those. Um, I do a lot of text content on there. Video content's on TikTok. I curse a lot um, is what it is. Um, <laughs> it's just Troy Barter Sales. Um I really enjoy doing the, the TikTok stuff for sure. I can be a little bit more myself than you can on LinkedIn. You got to have a little bit of a veneer, right? On LinkedIn, it's not as much as most. Um, and then just going to salesorg.io um, is the uh, the reality. If you're if you're hiring salespeople, um, or if your salespeople need training, um, or if your sales heads of sales, your your managers um, in the sales side need a little bit more support and mentorship, they need another person with a decade of SaaS sales experience or tech sales experience to help. That's, uh, that's what we're here to do. We're here to help. That's fantastic. We'll make sure and link all of those in the show notes. Awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation today, Troy. Yeah, likewise, man. Appreciate you having me. Thanks again, Troy, for coming on the show and sharing your sales journey and tech sales insights with all of us. Links, highlights, resources, full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. So please subscribe and follow us there as well. Everyone who subscribes this week gets an AI-powered toaster. Okay, not really. I was trying to make up something like so ridiculous that it would never exist. And it turns out that it actually does. So maybe the next Terminator movie is Rise of the Toasters. So unless they take over this week, join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert series for Vlad Blagojevich, founder of FullFunnel.io. Vlad works with B2B tech brands to drive awareness and demand for their products and land six-figure enterprise deals with your ideal target accounts. This whole week is about marketing and sales. Sales today, marketing on Thursday. Next Tuesday, our founder is Richard Palaria, co-founder of Kermit, where he's orchestrating the new landscape of physician preference spend management in hospitals across the country. Amazing SaaS solution. It is an eye-opening look at what really goes on in operating rooms and how that affects the cost for hospitals and all of us and how Kermit is changing that through SaaS. It's an amazing story. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!